Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my buddy Dylan Shore, and we're going to talk about Beavis and Butthead Do America. Uh, Dylan, are you a Beavis or a Butthead? Wow, what an interesting question <laughs> that I've never actually thought about. Um, I would like to say I'm more of a butthead <laughs> because he is more conscious than Beavis. Interesting. I feel just the opposite way. And that's why I picked Beavis. Because my whole thing through this movie is like, as they're going through each of the little set pieces and the tourist traps, Beavis the whole time is just being like, nah, that sucks. That's not enough water. Or like, oh, wow, that's a lot of electricity. That's pretty great. <laughs> He's into the stuff where Butthead is just like singularly focused on scoring with <laughs> Hillary, no, uh, Chelsea Clinton, it turns out. Yeah, one of my favorite lines is when I think they were in the dam and he's he's like, oh, let's get out of here. This actually isn't a lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, before we talk about Beavis and Butthead doing America, should we talk about some other things? What have you been watching? Yes, sir. I watched first the Matrix trilogy. Nice. Rewatched, I should say. Uh, first one, still a great movie. I think second so. one great moments but a lot of like i don't care kind of stuff yeah um and then the third one is still really bad and just not interesting fights the the neo agent smith fight at the end is kind of bland it's boring yeah um, and... yeah it's really it was just kind of gearing up for matrix four for later at the end of the year yeah, excited for Matrix 4, although I'm a little, like, I don't want to say skeptical, but that's the only word that's appropriate to describe my feelings, because I, you know, I think the Wachowskis as a pair have some gold, so I'm a little concerned, the same way I'm concerned about Macbeth, you know, like, one Cohen, I don't know, man. Well, Joel did do solo directing in their early, in their early movies, it was Joel. Yeah, that's true. And they, you know, their process has often been described as kind of a producer-director pair and writer-director yeah. pair. But, um, you know, I don't know as much about the Wachowski's process. Uh, yeah, I'm curious yeah, how I'm little, Honda will do without I, Lily. I'm curious as well. I, I, there's no reason to believe she wouldn't do fantastically well. She's mm -hmm. an accomplished filmmaker. The thing that really bumps me is that they they're not including Hugo Weaving. Yeah. And Lawrence Fishburne won't be in it either, but they'll be a young, uh, a young Morpheus in it. That's fine with me. You know, like the story time-wise. Yeah, but I have no idea what they're doing. Like, how are they getting a young Morpheus into this story? I don't uh, like, you go anywhere along the timeline, you know, if it's forward or backwards, or if we're like dilating time or tunneling through it, that all tracks for me. But in every iteration, you know, I, I you've watched it more recently than I have, but Smith is a pretty integral part of the the code, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm curious about how he's not in the movie. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, and. And then next, I watched a Clint Eastwood's first directorial debut. 
and it's called Play Misty for Me. And he stars in it as well. And Jessica Walters, rest in peace. Uh, and she's so good in this. It's like an early, it's one of like the OG, um, like stalker fan movies. Oh, okay, cool. And, uh, uh, Clint Eastwood is a disc jockey in Carmel, California, near okay. Big Sur. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he like reads poetry on air and will play music as well. And all, yeah, yeah. And every night, which is based on a real disc jockey in Carmel, apparently. Okay, uh, of course. <laughs> but uh, uh, he would always get a call by this one mysterious voiced woman saying, play Misty for me. And he would always play it for her. And then one night at a bar, uh, he meets this woman who turns out to be the woman who always calls in and asks for him to play Misty. And Jessica she Walters? Jessica Walters. And uh, she uh, be, is a very obsessed, deranged person and starts making Ooh. Clint's life a living hell. Oh man, that I bet that was fun to watch. I look oh, forward to it. It was great. And it's filled with gorgeous scenery and like beautiful houses on the coast. It's awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. that sounds real pleasant. Play Misty for me. All right. Clint Eastwood is a fascinating character because that sounds so like sentimental and heartfelt and and you know forward in a quaint sort of way. And mm. I, lives are long what a fascinating individual definitely and the last thing re-watched it last night with my buddy because i was like i want to watch like a horror movie or something and he's not big into horror and i was like oh would you go for like a like kind of a drama thriller that it's more chilling there's no jump scares or anything he's like yeah fuck it and so i showed him the night listener with robin williams tony collette and rory culkin I feel like I'm hearing about this movie for the first time right now. Is that possible? It's from 2006. It's such, it's very eerie and chilling. Uh, um, this was during the Robin Williams, I'm trying to win another Oscar, be a serious creepy guy phase. No, he's not even creepy in this. He's, oh, really? the, yeah, he's the, he's your protagonist. He's who you're following. But the story is, he is, again, a radio host of a night <laughs> show. And uh, you can see my buddy right there. Oh, hey, buddy. <laughs> uh, he's a radio host of a, a night show that this kid named Pete listens to. And he, this kid has written a book and about his life and he's 14 years old but he's gone through the most tumultuous fucking childhood just really bad parents pedophiles like drug addicts alcoholics and he's written this manuscript and the manuscript was sent to a book publisher that robin williams knows and he's like you should like talk to this kid it'd be a really interesting story for your radio show and uh, he does, and he develops like a relationship with the kid over the phone and his um, uh, adopted mother, which is Tony Collette. Okay. And uh, so he, uh, people around him start. That's all you want to know. 
yeah i'm like say no more i'm i'm kind oh. of i'm in okay that's then that's perfect go into it blind because it'll chill you even more like don't watch a trailer and it's so it's super short it's an hour and 22 minutes i think like right it freezes by there's a couple things that aren't like perfect about it but still i give that movie a fucking 8.5 out of 10 maybe a oh, nine and like the ratings of it are so low which is insane to me tony collette is so good she i don't i can't say anymore she's so good and robin williams is fantastic right i mean I'm a sucker for Rob Williams by and large, but Tony Collette is literally always good and generally yes. great. You know, oh, you've never seen her like this. Really? Watch it. Okay. Watch it, man. I'm telling you, take note right now. And if uh, Mags loves like a good chilling drama, like a Hitchcockian drama thriller, watch it with her. Like, with, close the blinds, make it nighttime. It's so good. Yeah, that's kind of right up her alley. So yeah, into it for sure. Sweet. And that's all I've watched. How about you? Okay. I just have a couple that I'll talk about. I had a theme similar to, <laughs> not similar to uh, nighttime DJs that got caught up in experiences, but I had a theme <laughs> to my recent viewing. I watched <laughs> A New Leaf, uh, Elaine May's first movie. Yeah. I've ne I have I've never told you about this movie. No, we've never talked about it. Wow, look at the poster. Incredible. Yeah. I'm a huge Elaine May fan. Interesting. I love her. Tell yeah. me about it. Uh tell you about a new leaf or just how much I love her movies. Let's start with Elaine May and then a new leaf. Okay, well, she is incredible. She is Mike Nichols' former comedic partner. They had like an onstage duo. Uh, uh, that they would... May, as it were. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And they stuck together for like a, like as comedy team for a while. She would write a lot of stuff that he would direct, like The Birdcage right. and uh, Primary Colors. She wrote, although I don't know if Mike Nichols directed that, but still, she wrote it back to Elaine May. And <clears throat> so A New Leaf was her first venture into making her own film. And it didn't go that well in post-production for her with the studio. She wanted her three hour cut of the movie essentially to be out. This is that, crazy to me that there's a three hour cut of this movie. Yes, and there's a whole subplot with Walter Matthau supposedly murdering someone. That's like, my understanding. That maybe multiple murders. Yeah, multiple. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't. I I've read about this a while ago, um, but yeah. So obviously they forced her to cut it and made a great movie to me. A New Leaf is so funny and really heartfelt. Like I love Walter Matthau and I love her. She's really quirky and odd, and it just works for me. So we'll get, hold on, we'll jump back to A New Leaf because okay. I want to talk about her other movies that uh, if you haven't seen them, you should watch. I'm jumping, uh, going through them. So I watched, um, no, that's the first one that I've watched, but I have Mikey and Nikki and the Heartbreak Kid and oh. Ishtar. I'm building to Ishtar. Okay, so uh, Mikey and Nikki's amazing. That's all, that's all you have to say about that movie. <laughs> it's incredible. 
uh, <clears throat> uh, Heartbreak Kid, the original, her fr hers from the 70s, I've only seen it on YouTube because DVD copies are so expensive. And it is so funny. Like the remake is definitely a Fairly Brothers slapsticky kind of humor. Speaking and, of one brother going astray. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, it Charles Grodin in that movie is oh it just like a pitiful person and it it's so funny it's I, like that's all i can say i i really loved her version uh her her movie right on. uh and then ishtar which is regarded as one of the worst movies ever made uh do you know this that's what i've heard you know yes it's right uh, and don't get me wrong it's not perfect but <laughs> it is really funny to me okay. like uh my but i made i made my buddy watch it and he was like you know what i think for me it would have been better if the roles were reversed so if warren Beatty played the dustin hoffman role and if dustin hoffman played the warren Beatty role so, uh and i was like oh that would be interesting i would love to see that but there's something to what they both do to their characters in this movie that is so oddly unique and just different from what they usually play. Okay, okay, okay. And then I'm I'm back in back on board because I'm a noted Warren Beatty hater. Yeah, he's really dopey in this movie. Uh, but they're both they're awful. that sounds so obnoxious, dude. I yeah, just but, can't. Oh, it's very obnoxious. They're very dopey people. They're two wannabe uh, songwriters. They don't want to be the performers. They want to be the songwriters, but they have to perform the music, their music to get noticed. Sure. And they just write the worst music and watching them create the worst music is really funny. And okay. then they get sent to a country called Ishtar that's in the middle of a war <laughs> and it gets crazy all right well that's yeah enough of a lame may I suppose um, so yeah you like a new leaf though I did like a new leaf yeah it, it is um a really charming movie and and it's um there's something about the way in that Walter Matthau provides he's so foibly and just like unlived as a human being you know he's had zero experience outside of his manor home or whatever but the physicality that he brings to that performance is it, like I said I think it's the way in because at this point in time the movie makes sort of no sense at all in terms of cultural reference and even at the point that it's made it's referencing something that's you know pretty well passe at that point in terms of like the the class structures and the the manner in which they behave you know mm -hmm. not to say that that stuff doesn't exist at all or is like gone in any way but the, making jokes about it is you know making those jokes in 2020 they're not gonna land you know but they do because they're really tidy jokes 
And again, Walter Matthau from frame one is just like shaking and kind of like, I don't know, swirling his hands around and forever just, he's really present. I'm glad you said frame one because frame one like sets you, sets you up for the humor of this movie where <laughs> you see the, what you think is like a EKG monitor heartbeat thing. And then you come out and you, he's like, is it going to be okay? And it's just a, his car. Yeah, and like, yeah. like that's that's a great laugh. <laughs> and the joke there, where it's something about like oh, I have to take it into the shop every two or three times I take it out. Well, how often do you take it out? Well, two or three times. <laughs> it's like every time he takes it out, he yeah. has to take it to the shop. He and doesn't know how to drive it. <laughs> the joke is so good that it's really complexly worded that I can't remember it and yet it's yeah. I, it's so good it's really funny really really funny <laughs> yeah I like right I'm glad you like that that's awesome I'm glad you watched it so I double featured Walter Matthau with Dennis the Menace oh great movie man VHS is right here I think it's pretty good I think it's pretty good I think yeah, it, no, that's a big one of my childhood I'm down to do that one eventually we should do a full episode on it and I'll, I'll kind of save my comments about the whole thing until then. But for now, talking about Walter Matthau's physicality, there's a shot about midway through the movie where he's in the living room and he's kind of reaching over a chair and they're framing a really dumb gag, but he is doing a full on tabletop pose right? Like if you're for my yoga heads out there, he's on uh -huh. one leg and he's got the other leg extended behind him. And he's got both of his arms reached out in front of him. And he's like framing, a, I think it's the dog at this point with both of his arms and like, and he's in his seventies or maybe he's got to be in his at least seventies by that point. And he's striking this incredible pose. And I was just like, Walter fucking math out every time. And the fucking Christopher Lloyd in that movie, Switchblade Sam is such a, like, what a vivid thing that scared me as a kid. It's like, crazy. loved it. But it also is the reason why I eat my apples with a knife. Because <laughs> Switchblade Sam cuts his, I don't know, that always stuck with me. Yeah. And I, my dad teach me how to cut an apple with a knife. <laughs> I'm definitely thinking of some other movies that brought that to my attention, but I can't think of one specifically. Oh, mine's definitely Dennis the motherfucking Menace. <laughs> right on. All right, well, we'll do an episode on Dennis the Menace someday. So Hell yeah. then let's let's talk about Travis and Bobhead. Ah, <sighs> uh, my last name's Butt. <laughs> my first name's or no, my last name's Head. My first name's Butt. <laughs> are you a beavis and butthead fan are you uh, i i think the movie introduced me to them okay yeah because I, I i remember like renting this as soon as it came to vhs and um uh, and then like my brother telling me that it's a tv show on mtv and all that stuff mm -hmm. so yeah no this definitely introduced me to them and then saw episodes later on and never like thought about them again because my my in my head it's the movie like i like the movie compared to the tv show even though the tv show is very funny there's a lot of great episodes of them commenting on fucking the music videos of the era 
and the reality was kind of funny too. Right, that's the TV show is them mostly sitting on the couch and talking about music videos. Yeah. And then there's loose plots around it. And sometimes the adventures go to school. Sometimes they end up spinning off Daria, which we're all very thankful for. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they end up spinning off King of the Hill, which we're all very thankful for as well. Um, but it's mostly, I mean, not mostly, but the thing was they're sitting on their couch watching the music videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's basically everything. And that never just like captured me for a TV show. Like I can see why it's funny, especially for that era. But in my head, it's always the movie. Like I quote the movie, not the TV show. I mean, the the movie is essentially a collection of quotes from the TV show. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, I know Cornholio and uh, yeah. yeah, all those. But I love the, the, it's like Big Lebowski, the simplicity of the plot. Like, literally someone breaks in through a window, takes their TV, walks out the front door. And like them repeating that stage is, those stages over and over <laughs> that's funny i i sort of wanted to hate this this time because i gotta be honest i was graded by the characters immediately where i was like oh they really do they just like do that laugh constantly it's literally constant yes and man there was a point about 10 minutes in where i was like i don't know if i can hang with this but that first joke where it's just like seven times looking at the window, the door, the TV stand, the footprints, the just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I laughed out loud as the youth say, and it kept happening where it's like, oh, that's a pretty good joke. God oh, damn, that's a good joke. There's, and so most of the notes that I have here are like, that's a really good joke. I wish the animation was better, you know? Hmm. I don't think it's bad. I feel like it fits the era. I, I mean, I guess that's just my lo-fi thing. That was, you know, Mike judges. Have you ever seen any of those, like the shorts from the competition? The like the video. God damn it! I'm I'm reaching for ancient memories. I don't quite have it. Back in the late '80s and the early '90s, there was these um, like animation film festival contests but they were all super rude it was like rude animation or animation just whatever fucking thing that fox is appropriated now and so you would get these collections of vhs's that would have these super short cartoons and it's sort of where like the south park tradition evolved out of that right and he was making the rounds in those things. So I remember getting my hands on those VHSs really early on and it, just the sort of <laughs> like visceral grossness of hmm. the cartoons and the animation, but they're lo-fi, you know, it's sort of like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles era of just, we're punks, we're gonna make the shitty version of it stuff. So while it's appropriate to the era it is appropriate to the era, but it's sort of a commentary on like, again, what we would call lo-fi now. Yeah, 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 yeah. like crude animation. Exactly, crude animation, was it called crude animation? Fuck, Um, these festivals, uh, whatever, my elder statesman punk status just is slipping away from me. You can take my 
dead Kennedy's patch off my jacket. Oh, no, um, you're all good, man. You can keep it. <laughs> um, but I have limited tolerance for things that are sort of specifically shitty. I kind, you know, and this movie, I do too. Has a real hard time filling out the runtime. You know, I like that it's a clean eighty minutes, yeah. but it's also a kind of a lengthy 80 minutes even oh yeah they're filling the gaps they have a whole acid trip out in the desert or not acid in a row they have like their vision quest and then immediately the water gets splashed on them and we go into a montage with the ozzy osbourne song after that of them getting a little further on and then that happens at least one or two more times where we get another like montage road montage and i get that it's a road movie and road movies have montages but it's thin man it's really really thin totally agree with you because it's a fucking 20 minute tv show like that's what it's meant to be and again like at least eight of those minutes was music videos not (laughs) beavis and butthead doing stuff it was them sitting on the couch making fun of the music videos it was like an animated version of Mystery Science Theater 3000, but for music videos. Yeah. I, yes, absolutely. That's a great comparison. Yeah. Uh, like, the, the movie definitely has some funny lines. Uh, like <laughs> It has some, <laughs> some great lines, right? Uh, I like the boothead joke when they're trying to figure out how to read the sign. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's run down some jokes because we just got to do it. The other one that made me laugh, like maybe the, there's, I got a few real hard laughs out of this thing. But when they ask the guy for directions to Washington after they get kicked out of the nun's bus, and he's just like, it's like 2,000 miles that way, asshole. Hard cut to them walking in the desert. <laughs> and then he's like, cool, thanks, bro. We're on our way 2,000 miles that way. Oh, yes uh <clears throat> we can just state everything with cloris leachman was great travis and bobhead hey yeah. travis and bobhead <laughs> uh we're gonna go play the slots <laughs> uh no uh one of my favorite beavis lines it when they're in the desert is the sun sucks <laughs> just states it you know what that moment struck me also because it reminded me of how influential this stuff is to our culture for better or for worse because so many people i know have the dull ironic sense of humor of just like it's a very hot day looking out at the sun and being like sun sucks you know deserts are lame <laughs> going about your business anyway i think that's a real kind of deadpan millennial delivery that we picked up from beavis and butthead but toned down the the stupidity wink wink kind of nudge nudge delivery that we're given here and just yeah. went uh postmodern with it like now the sun does suck i'm saying a fact and that's hilarious <laughs> uh i love uh you got a match and butthead says, uh, yeah, my butt and your, uh, butt. <laughs> like, there's just little dumb lines like that that really fucking get me. And they're, like, sparsely, minimally written dumb lines. Because there's also, I, I've 
railed and complained about this everywhere that anybody will let me. But working as a producer, I got so many pitches from shitty sketch groups that were like, we're going to do, oh shit, I want to (laughs) say Travis and Bobhead now, but what's the um, uh, fucking Eric and good show, Mr. Nice Guys. Good job. What the fuck is that show called? Tim and Eric. Tim and Eric. Okay. I had so many sketch groups coming to me and be like, yeah, we'll just do a shitty version of it. And you're like, okay, but what's the good version of it? And they're like, no, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, bro, no, it, it matters so much. You have to be able to write the best joke in order to write the worst joke. Yeah, You can't show up with this lazy bullshit. And so this movie has the joke where they're <laughs> Hank Hill, or I guess in the, it's Tom, Tom Anderson, right? But the RV guy is complaining about them whacking off in his RV. And Robert Stack says some shit about not, you're a federal agent, so you can't end this the proper terminology. You can't end a sentence in a preposition. And they spend like three lines trying to build a sentence that is not quite grammatically correct, but conveys the meaning and does not end in a preposition. That's a smart joke that this movie is so dumb to have in it. And that's that's the proof of concept. You know what I mean? He's Totally. Mike Judge, let's maybe talk a little bit of Mike Judge for a minute because he is one of my favorite creators. I think he understands something about America and television that few people really get. And he, yeah. I mean, King of the Hill is just one of the best things that's ever been on. And I'm a pretty big fan of Silicon Valley too. <laughs> I was for a little bit. I haven't watched the last like two seasons. There's really no need. The first two to three seasons are are gold, and you know if you like the stuff, it's good enough to keep going on. But it, it's fine, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I love Mike Judge as well. We all know he made Idiocracy, which is one of the most poignant films of all time. <laughs> Listen, this I since we brought it up, the fact that Beavis and Butthead just wander into the highly secured White House and Capitol building and yeah. just dumbing their way through it was not prepared for that to resonate in 2021. And yet here we are living in idiocracy because he really does understand something about this, this land that we call home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a couple more lines that yeah, I really love. Uh, uh, it, this is actually all part of one scene, but it's a uh, little old lady in Beavis. And she's like, uh, I got this ringing in my ears. My doctor says it could be related to my heart palpitations. And he goes, really? I poop too much. <laughs> and she's like, or maybe you're, uh, maybe you're lactose intolerant. No, no, no. I poop too much. <laughs> then I get tired. <laughs> he like raises his voice as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's genius. It's really yeah. good. I kind of wanted to hate it. I couldn't though. It's it's pretty damn funny. Yeah, I give it a fucking eight out of ten. Like I still love this movie. The middle, the desert sequence, like just does linger a little too long. That's that's my main part. It, the thing is, is that it all lingers a little too long, and so at. 80 minutes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on board for it, especially on this day of days. I think the peak version of this is a three-episode arc on MTV. 
and we've got like 62 minutes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but for, and, and then again, like I said, I did you see this in theaters? No, VHS. I saw this in theaters, buddy. It was one of the few movies that I was like, I somehow managed to convince my mom to buy a ticket for me to see this movie. And she did. Um, and I saw it on the big screen. And I remember, you know, I was, uh, I guess I would have been like 11 or 12 at that point. So I loved it. I was wound up, you know, it was perfect. The best movie I've ever seen. But watching it here and now on, a, you know, a decent sized screen, I just remember thinking to myself like this, it looks better than the TV show did. I can't imagine this being a real excellent use of the, the theater experience and it's yeah. snacks of, okay, six seasons in a movie. We have to come up with a movie now because we sold the rights to this motherfucker and oh shit. So yeah, no, I'm my gentleman shitty VHS quality. So that's like, that's exactly how it should be seen. Exactly yeah, if you step up from that, it looks like oh, that look that's really good HD. Like I watched uh, HD copy on uh, Amazon, and I was like, oh yeah, it does. Like it, they brought out the colors very nicely in this transfer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the, it definitely feels like it should be viewed on VHS tape. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that on a CRT screen. Yeah. Hell yeah, buddy. You need a, you need the real four three and a curved piece of yep. glass. If your TV doesn't weigh like 150 pounds, don't watch Beavis and Butthead do America. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, it's gotta be one of the old big school, <laughs> old school TVs, man. Oh man, those things were so huge. Like just any TV back in the day was massive. Man, I have this memory of my grandmother's television that was like the, you know how there's those cool modern 60s record cabinets? Uh-huh. They made those for TVs too. They were just like these honking ass pieces of furniture. <laughs> and she had one in the middle of her living room that was like, you know, it would make the whole wall warm. <laughs> and we had to convince her to, we had to buy her another TV. <laughs> Turn off the radiation, Queen. Yeah. <laughs> you have anything else about uh, Beavis and Butthead to America? No. Oh, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore are in it too. I also saw somewhere, I was trying to track it down, and I saw only one source that lists <laughs> Bork, Agent Bork, as uh, Greg Kinnear. But I couldn't find him listed in the cast list anywhere. So I don't know if he's additional voices or what. That came from like fandom.wiki.blogspot.beavisandbuttheaddoamerica or some shit. Huh. He must have just did like a little fun uh, cameo voice. A few cameos. Oh, no. He's right here. Yeah. IMDb. Yep. Down toward Agent Bork, uncredited. David Spade is also uncredited. Uh, There's, I also think that Agent Bork might be named Agent Bork just so they can get to the joke at the end of the movie, which is Bookum Bork. Bookum Bork. Robert Stack. Robert Stack. Yeah. yeah. I put on Unsolved Mysteries recently. The, the OG stuff is on Prime here in the UK. 
So right. yeah, it's everything. Yeah, they're on my Roku. What's that? They're, oh, they're on my Roku stick. Like there's a whole Unsolved Mysteries channel. Delightful. I'm also watching it on a CRT screen that weighs uh, 150 pounds. Nice. Do you have anything else about uh, this here film? Should we wrap it up and and just admit that Beavis and Butthead have done America? It's a fact. It happened. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, special shout out to my boy, Sean Kehoe, if he's listening, because I went and saw this movie in the theater with him. Cheers, fellas.